0: following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. So Proverbs 7, we're continuing uh, in our series called The Way of Wisdom, working through the book of Proverbs. If you haven't been with us, uh, we took a chunk of of the Proverbs a couple years ago. We jumped back into it this summer for a bit, and uh, then we'll we'll come back here again uh, at some point down the road and work our way through the Book of Proverbs. Uh, the Book of Proverbs is written largely by King Solomon. There's some other, you know, authors in there, maybe even some anonymous ones. These are wise sayings. Uh, it's classified as wisdom literature. If you're unfamiliar with the Proverbs generally. And uh, it can be, many times you, you, you don't see people preach through it like we are because it at, for sure at first glance and even maybe with a deeper glance, it, it, it seems somewhat fragmented and it can seem like it's talking about a lot of different things. So it can, it can be hard then to, to work through it in a systematic way. But uh, I think all of God's word is profitable and good for us and uh, particularly the Proverbs. I would actually encourage you, there's 31 Proverbs, and uh, I think a really great practice is just taking one of those a day as a part of your Bible reading. The Proverbs are just jam-packed full of of practical wisdom for living. That's a lot of what you're going to draw out of this well, and uh, it's, it's good for all of us. The Lord said if we'll ask for wisdom, he'll give it, and part of how he's given it is through the book of Proverbs, and so that's why we're here. Uh, to learn humbly from God's word. Proverbs 7, and we're gonna, we're gonna do the whole chapter, and don't get nervous. I know some of you have bottle rockets waiting at home, and you just can't wait to get to them, um, but we'll, we'll definitely be home by evening for sure. So those are more fun in the dark anyways, right? Amen. Okay, so Proverbs 7, starting in verse 1, here we go. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you, keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. That has less to do with, that word foreigner has less to do with ethnicity, more to do with the gods that Foreign lands worship that foreign nations worship. That's the issue there, okay? So for at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him. Dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart, she is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. She was looking special for him. Did you notice that? I don't think so. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And suddenly, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Praise God for his word. It's not particularly cheery, but it's real. Amen, thankful for that. So the first thing I want us to, to think about <clears throat> is that this particular proverb is, is thought by many to have a broader application than just temptation towards sexual sin in particular. But the naivety of this young man and, and the advances of this wayward woman, they show us a pattern of how temptation towards all types of sin, tries to trick and then trap all of us. And, and so not to take away from the particular warnings here of the example, but many scholars that I've read, many commentators think that really we, we can learn a lot about how temptation works broadly from reading this proverb. I tend to agree with that. And as the story of this young man's folly unfolds, it seems more and more inevitable that he will end up ensnared in this trap. Did you get that sense as we read it? She comes at first, it's like, well, maybe he's still got a hope. You know, but she, started, she started by grabbing him and kissing him, right? So obviously COVID wasn't happening. because um, you know that would have been a masked kiss, but uh, you know, a little, a little bolder about that. So she starts with a kiss, which is a way to really get this thing going. But as, as she continues with the enticements, as she continues with the reasoning, it seems more, and he, and he hasn't run yet, right? <laughs> right? He hasn't run like Joseph did from Potiphar's wife. You know, that, So the, the more she talks, and I don't see that happening, the, the, the less hope I have for this brother. It does seem, the longer it goes, the more inevitable it is but i want us to ask this question is it and i want to ask that question because i know that many of you feel particularly around maybe certain ensnaring sins in your own life certain situations many of you feel trapped or have felt trapped there's people around you that feel trapped they feel hopeless they feel like it's an it's an inevitability that they're going to end up in the snare, and when you get to that point, where you, where you, if you buy that, then you, you just, you just kind of go limp and let it take you into whatever the destruction is. I, and I, I think it's important that we don't believe that for ourselves or others. The, the reality is, it's never inevitable. It's never inevitable that well, this, this is just going to happen. This is just, this is just the way it is. You, and you can, you can even get. To, there's, I, I've talked to many people. They get to the point where they're. They're, they're, they believe that inevitability and then they're upset at God about it. But can I just ask you to listen to this promise from the Lord because he doesn't think it's inevitable. And he's actually made provision for it not to be. But you have to decide what you're going to believe. Are you going to believe all the experiences? And I know this is true for some of you. This, this is a real thing and it's, it's painful. Are you going to believe the experience that maybe I've tried to put this sin to death? Once, twice, three times, 30 times, 40 times, I've cried, I've begged, I'm condemned, I'm struggling. Are you going to believe all of, of what that tells you, the, the sermon that that preaches to you, which is, this is a foregone conclusion. This, this is just the way things are going to be. Or can you reach by faith to believe this? Starting in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands watch out that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful. First of all, do you believe that? Has your your belief in God's faithfulness been shook? That's a a place to start. Because if, if that's shook, it's going to be hard for you to lean into this reality. So he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will provide the way of escape also. So that you will be able to endure it. The promise of God on the matter is first of all, He will never allow you to be tempted by something that's an inevitability. Excuse me. He will never let you be tempted by something like, "Well, this is just this is a foregone conclusion." They're they're gonna this this trap's gonna get them. This one's gonna snap on their leg. He won't do it. Furthermore, He's promised He will always make a way of escape for you. Sometimes the problem is we're not we're not willing to acknowledge the way of escape, and sometimes we're not willing to, to pay the price to take the way of escape, right? Now, I've said this to you before. I can't, I just, sorry, I can't think of a better example. Joseph ran up out the house. When Potiphar said, hey, come lay with me. You don't, I mean, Potiphar was, you know, pretty powerful, whatever. I'm sure, I'm sure Mrs. Potiphar was, was attractive. Don't you think there was a, at least a moment of temptation there? He said, no, skirt, skirt, outside. You hear me? And I'm just saying, we've talked about this before, man, that the way of escape might cost you something. The way of escape might be inconvenient, probably will. But, but please don't let the enemy have you convinced that God has left you abandoned in the midst of your temptation, because that's for sure not the truth. Ever. Now, some of you might hear what I'm saying and you think, okay, so the temptation is never inevitable. We're never at the point where we're, we're, we're just going to be overcome by it. And there's always a way of escape. So almost what it sounds like you're saying to us is that, well, that we, can, we can be perfect on this side of eternity. Let's be careful about that. Let me read you 1 John 1 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, right? So who confesses sins? Is that someone that is is a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus? That's a practice of those who belong to Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. I used a different word. I said, follow them belong, right? That wasn't cool. I'll try not to switch it up on you like that again. Because like, that was pretty good. There was a good response coming and then I changed the word. You know what I mean? So it got all jarbled. That was bad. Okay. I'll use the same word next time. Don't be scared. You did good. I'm proud of you. All right. If they, but if you, so what happens? If, so let's, let's not lie to ourselves or the Lord and, and act like we have no sin, okay? But if we confess our sins, then what happens? He is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the answer is, is not that we believe. You're, you're going to reach the, the perfection of Christ this side of eternity. That is that is a part of the final phase of God's redemptive plan. We will be glorified at one point, right? When he, when he wraps this whole thing up, or you get called home before that happens, but when we're with him, there's, there's, a final, there's a final phase of this process of redemption where we will be glorified and we will be without even the temptation to sin. Amen. I'm really looking forward to that. When sin and striving cease, you remember that song? what is that striving talking about? I mean, it's all of the hard things that sin has brought into the world, the brokenness, but it's also the striving against sin. <laughs> Woo! Yes! Looking forward to that one, okay? But we're not there yet. So we have to, we have to balance those truths, okay? So how do we balance that truth? Well, what, what we do is, we, it all of that means we can't We don't just settle into the reality of our imperfection, right? I want us to be very careful with the phrase, nobody's perfect. Because it is true, but it's often used in a way that is unhelpful. It's often used to justify something. It's often used to take the the sharp edge off of conviction and not really deal with what it is maybe the Lord is dealing with us about. Maybe the Lord's saying, "Hey, hey, hey! No, don't go there. Here's a way of escape." And, and is our answer back to Him going to be, "Well, nobody's perfect." No, uh-uh. Let's not do that. That's not helpful. That's not. That's not even what's best. And of course, the Lord is always trying to help us get to what is best. The goal that we should set. So You're going to keep all this, everything we've said in mind. But the goal. So there's always a way of escape from temptation. We're not going to be perfect this side of eternity, but what do we set the bar at? What should the goal be? What am I striving for? This doesn't, we, we, don't, we don't want to settle. The goal that we should set is what the Bible calls holiness. Holiness is being set apart for God. Holiness and righteousness in the mold of Christ is to be in a direction where I'm, I'm, I'm heading away from sin, away from temptation. I'm not, I'm not, just kind of settling into this reality. Well, I'm not, I'm not gonna beat it all anyway, so if you can't beat them, join them. Right? We still set holiness as the goal, knowing that I'm not gonna reach the perfection of Christ this side of eternity, but at least at least the goal is right. I'm gonna shoot, I'm gonna shoot high and, and and I'm gonna come up short of that. God's grace is gonna make up the difference. Amen. Right? He's gonna be there for me. Forgive me, do what one John said when I confess my sin. I'm honest about it. But this is what. 1 Peter tells us about this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? Obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Hopefully, that's not in there, I said that. The assumption is, all of what you just heard, that's worth greatly rejoicing in. Wow, okay. Even even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which which perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. He's not done. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. What's he talking about? The prophets beforehand They saw glimpses and pieces of this plan of redemption that God was going to fulfill in Christ, right? David saw bits of it, and Isaiah saw bits of it, but they they didn't get to see the fullest, but they were looking forward to it. Abraham saw bits of it, right? That would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, I know this is a long passage of scripture, but here's, there's a hinge point here. Everything we just read, everything about God's plan of redemption and salvation, how it's so glorious and wondrous that angels long to look into it. Angels have been around, yes? Angels have a big view of kind of all of what's been going on for a long time. Angels... Still are longing to look into the depth and beauty of the gospel. So everything, you, everything this, this beautiful dissertation on salvation and God's grace to us right here, written by a fisherman, Peter, the next word is therefore. So keep all that in mind. There, because of that, because of everything we just read, the excellencies and the glories and the beauty of the salvation that comes through Christ alone. Therefore, as a result of that, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We're still talking about where do we set the bar even though we know we're not going to reach perfection. We're, we're laying it out, friends. And Why? Not, this is, it's so clear here. We, we're not, what does he say? As obedient children, don't be conformed to former lusts, but like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. There's your bar. Like, be holy, What? wait, what does that mean? He, he spelled it out for us. Like the one who called you. Be holy like Christ. Well, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what holiness means. Oh, I, great, I'm glad you don't have preconceived ideas about it. Go look at Jesus. He'll help you figure it out. Amen. That's good. Now, but here's what's really important. Peter makes it clear here. We are not seeking for holiness to try to be saved. We are seeking after holiness because Christ has saved us. It is not that we are doing any of this to try to earn that salvation we're hoping in. It's absolutely a response to a salvation that has already been granted by grace through faith, which makes it a beautiful different motivation than every false gospel out there. Because when the gospel gets twisted and contorted even just a little bit, you end up back in a place where you may be striving for holiness, you may know that Jesus is my benchmark, that's what I want to live like, that's what I want to talk like, that's what I want to think like, I want to serve the Father like Jesus did, but if all the way down in there is still the the little bit of leaven that, that, that ruins the whole lump, the motivation, if I'm trying to earn God's favor, if I'm trying to get God to love me instead of Walking in obedience as a result of how much he has already shown that he loves me. It'll ruin everything. It's the difference between the true gospel and every form of legalism that draws people away from it. And it's wild. It barely makes sense to the human mind. And that's, that's one, of the, one of the thousands of reasons I believe it. What human could have came up with this? It's wild. And it's beautiful. It's awesome. Amen. But let's also, <clears throat> as, we as we celebrate the grace of God, as we, as we revel in the fact that God has loved us and then we pursue obedience and holiness as a result of that, because not because I, I want to try to get him to love me, or I want to please him so that he'll do something for me, but realizing he's already done everything for me that anybody could possibly do. And it's because of that I want to please him, because he's a good father. But, you, you, can, you can get a, a strong grasp on that and then, and then they'll try to be this other kind of wicked contortion that'll steal power away from what God is doing in us through his gospel. Let us never make the mistake of thinking that the grace of God is a license for apathy towards holiness. Because what can happen on the other side of this is we start to think, oh man, it, 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 really, it really had nothing to do with how good I was that God has saved me. That's, that's pretty cool. And it can it start to sneak in and be like, well, yeah, I mean, my relationship with God is, is all by grace. He's, he's, he's a loving father. He's, he's, not, he's not mad at me. He loves me. And, and these, these are all things that are true. But if at the end of that trail, there ends up an apathy towards holiness, or like, well, he's, he's, he's a good father. It won't, this, it won't be a problem. Nobody's perfect, right? We're back to that. You see how that can be a problem? And and Paul Paul knew it was potentially a problem as well. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? NASB says far from it. Many of your translations will say, may it never be. And the language in the Greek is very strong. Like, no, (laughs) that isn't how we do it. We don't continue in sin so that grace may abound. That was the problem the Corinthian church had. Look at all this sexual deviation we've got going on here. Oh, look at how gracious we are. Let's celebrate God's grace. See how nice we're being to everybody And there. You know, you got guys sleeping with a stepmom or you can't really tell. Something real wild going on. What Paul say? That's not grace. Just ignoring sin and, and telling people, oh, oh, it's okay, don't worry about that. That's that's That is as harmful to them as as legalism could ever be. The gospel is a totally different way. It says, or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk, why? Why all of this? So we too may walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is freed from sin. Friends, isn't it interesting? It's interesting to me that how often we as humans struggle to properly define freedom. Many times, we are so foolish that we, we get to the point where we, act, we believe the very opposite of what is true about many things. There, there, there can be a point where you could read this story of Solomon you know, looking through the lattice and this young, naive guy. You could read this story in Proverbs 7, and there, there are those so confused that they would think what they're reading there is a description of true freedom. The fact that this guy can just go out into the streets and the fact that this woman is is so liberated in her thinking, she's so free, we can just go out here and and because we both have a passion and because we both agree that it's probably going to make us feel good, we're free. See how free we are? We're free to go back and to do these things that are in exact opposite of what God has called them to and and clapping for themselves the whole way. See how free, see how enlightened I am? Let's celebrate, let's not. Let's understand that all that Christ has done is to set us free from the slavery that that actually is. Freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is not following your heart. Freedom is not doing whatever you think might make you happy. That's not true freedom. Freedom is doing what you were made to do. Because if you go against the design for which you were created, even if you think it's a really good idea, that's, you're not ultimately going to find the most freedom possible for you there. Where you're going to find the most freedom possible is to walk out what it is God made you to do. Because if God made you, he knows how you work best. And it's sad and it's disheartening how often we will confuse, we will, we'll go the exact opposite of what true freedom is and we'll, we'll call that freedom. And that's, that's the work of the enemy. He's a deceiver. And uh, whatever he can flip upside down and get us to bite on, he will. But that's not freedom. Freedom is to do what you were made to do. And the first five verses really kind of help us with that idea of Proverbs 7. Let's read that again. My son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you, keep my commandments and live. Right? Because what, why am I saying this will help us? This really comes down to truth and lies. This really comes down to what is real. How do we figure that out? Let's look at these verses. Keep my words, treasure my commandments within you, keep my commandments and live. My teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, You are my sister. Call understanding your intimate friend that they may keep you from an adulteress. The wisdom of the word of God is meant to be our constant companion, protecting us from deceptions that draw us towards destruction. Bind it on your fingers. Write it on the tablet of your heart. What does that mean? It means these things should be with us always. we, We should be Filled up, and I would, I would argue to overflowing. The New Testament makes that clear. I don't just want to be so full of the presence of God, the truth of God, the grace of God, the joy of God. I don't want to just be filled enough where I, now I can have happy time by myself, right? I'm, I'm believing God to be filled to the point where I, I have some to share with others. But these things are meant to be with us all the time. That's what writing it on the tablet of your heart means, right? Let me read you this. 2 Corinthians 10 starting in verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's interesting what a lot of this comes down to is what do, you, what do you fill your heart and mind with? Is it, what am I thinking about most often? What What is influencing even things that run in the background? How I'm interacting with people and situations and how I'm moving through life. The call of Proverbs here, and this is consistent throughout the scriptures, is we would have the word of God, the truth of God, written upon our hearts, that it would... That would be that, that that truth, we'd be so saturated with that truth, right? How do, you, how do you combat lies? This isn't that complicated. You can have truth. And when you're saturated with the truth, it makes it a lot harder to be deceived, right? If this young man had been soaked in the truth of God, not just about God's command pertaining to what he was being tempted with, but also the very honest consequences God has made clear would come out of going that way, right? Maybe as soon as she kissed him, as, she, as some woman comes around the corner and grabs this brother and just kisses him brazenly, had he been soaked in the word of God, maybe he'd have went, wow! That's, an older Christian brother told me that one time because I, I used to work for him and we would, we'd be in, how shall we say, rough areas sometimes. And he said, he called me Vinny. He'd say, Vinny, Listen, man, one of these, one of these women come, you know, some of these women around here, man, one of them women come up and touch you. I'll tell you what I do. As soon as they touch me, I go, ah, (laughs) oh man, I miss that guy, but that was good truth, man. That's what I'm talking about. And I had to use it one time. I'm not going to tell the whole story because it's long and it's wild. Some of you know it. You're chuckling. It's Lord Jesus, but (laughs) yeah. I had to run a couple times, honestly, but I ran inside and locked the door. I didn't run outside. Yeah. Okay. See me later. If you, if you want to hear that one, I'd be happy to share. So we're talking about these, okay. These first five verses, we're talking about our minds being soaked and, and, and how that helps us. We don't, we don't, we don't battle like this isn't like normal physical battles, but there is a battle. It's a battle in our minds and in our hearts. And, and what we're going to fight with is truth and we, and and how do you, here's the problem man this 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 is pre, this is preemptive training that we're talking about right because if you wait until the point of temptation it's like oh i need that truth i need that truth where is it the assault's already there you're already overtaken right but the point is that i i, I want to be convinced enough in my heart that that god's word is true and then I need it written upon my heart. I need my mind soaked in the, in the water of God's word, cleansed continually in God's word, or, or I'm going to end up being made a punk. I'm going to get suckered by something. I'm going to buy into one of these lies. And I've got, I've got a way to illustrate that. <clears throat> I hope it's helpful and not distracting. Because here's the thing. Imagine, imagine these two pieces of paper. One being a mind, not very focused on the truth of God's word, not washed in the water of God's word, basically just filled with no, no filter, just whatever whatever's coming downstream, it's taking it in. It's a mind darkened with deception and unchecked. That's what this represents. This represents a mind that has been cleansed with the water of God's word. This is This is where the truth of God has been written upon the tablet of the heart. It's carried with a person into every situation they go. They're they're soaked. And and instead of being overcome by the deceptions of the enemy, they are overcome with the goodness and the truth of God's word. Okay? We We got two different dispositions here. Right? All right? Now what happens if what comes along is a can of spray paint... Which is going to represent? This is black. This is going to represent temptation. Okay, I could have done this illustration much grander, done some like fiery darts of the enemy and stuff, but you know, we're right next to the fire department, and they probably frown on that. If I get fire going in here, but I think this will get the point across. Okay, so here comes here comes temptation. Here comes some stupid thought. Here comes some some deception trying to pull you away from what it is God would have for you, right? So here it is. It comes and it hits, it hits this mind. What happens? Now, some of you who are a little sassy, you might say, oh, well, you know, I can, yeah, I can see that because I'm moving it and we got these lights in here and, and you, you see the, the sheen difference. But here's, here's what I'm talking about. When this hit, first of all, any of you who have dealt with spray paint, if I leave this a minute, it's gonna dry and you're going to barely be able to tell. You're going to barely be able to see a difference between this trashy thought that's going to lead to destruction and what was already here. So when this thought comes and hits this mind, when this thought comes and hits this heart, when this deception comes and it hits this one, there is no no alarm bells go off. It just mixes in with all the rest of the nasty that's already in there. There's no distinction. But my question is, what happens when this same temptation, this same stupid thought, Whatever it is, hits a mind that's been cleansed and washed by the water of God's word. Is there going to be a distinction? Is there going to be an alarm go bell? Is someone going to notice? Whoa, what is that? Right? This is our problem. We're oftentimes not committed to the process of having the word of God, the truth of God, the commandments of God written upon our hearts have our minds soaked in his truth. And so oftentimes our hearts and minds look more like this than they do this. And then stupid thoughts come, temptations come, whatever the harlot looks like for us, with their smooth sayings and all of their convincing, and it's, it's just, yeah, why not? There's no, there's no I mean, here's, when, when your mind and heart's in this place, man, and that stupid thought comes, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like, you ever had a thought hit your brain, and you're like, where, where did that come from? You're like, what? That's every, every idea that's coming from the enemy and that's gonna end up pulling me away from the Lord and towards my destruction, I want it to be like that for me. Like, what? As opposed to that thought coming and I don't even notice. Because what happens when I don't notice? Exactly like this thing is doing. It's drying and you can see less and less of this spray paint I put on here. It just blends on in. Don't, it, it gets more time to run and play. It gets more time to sow its seeds of foolishness and for the, the damage to run deeper. As soon as it hits this, man, it's like, whoa, no. We're gonna take, what did the word of God say? What are we doing? We're destroying arguments, all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God and we are taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean, Pastor Vince? What I'm saying is, the goal here is that every single thought, nothing gets to live in my head that is not in obedience to Christ. Are you, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Now, how close are we to that today? Probably miles and miles, but I wanna at least set the goal right. I wanna get, I wanna get quicker by the grace and power of God at shutting down stupid thoughts that are ultimately just going to lead to harm for me and harm for those around me. Right? Because when I sin, I'm never just hurting myself. You guys know that, right? Did you catch any of that spray paint in the eye? Did I do pretty good? Just a little bit? You got a little bit of scent of it? Yeah, well, scent connects to memory. So if you're smelling spray paint right now, remember that, man. (laughs) Take those thoughts captive. A little oil-based paint in your life might help. Did I get it on my hands? No. Pretty good. All right. <clears throat> now, I. so we see the call, first few verses. I want to break down for us quickly. It will be quick. I want to break down for us some of the strategy we see here, because it's really not that variant. Deceptions and, and things that are trying to draw us away from the Lord, they're not the bag of tricks that the enemy has is really not that deep. Um, we, we, we just don't notice sometimes how redundant it really is. The, the first thing I notice here in verses six through nine, let's look at those again. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice. I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing through the street, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness. My question is, where is this guy going? Because it sounds to me like he's going nowhere. It sounds to me like he's meandering about without purpose. And you want to talk about making yourself uh, vulnerable to temptation? Be somebody that just Meanders about and doesn't have a lot of purpose. That will open you up to temptation. What do you mean? Well, I'm going I'm to use a really extreme example to illustrate it. And, and then you can back it down from there and hopefully apply it where it applies for you. Okay? I want you to imagine the person or a few people that you love the most in the whole world. Just get their face in your mind. Okay? Now imagine that uh, you pull up to, to where they live and the place is on fire. And it's just the fire, you can tell the fire just started. Okay? Now here's my question. In, in that moment where the people you love the most, they're, they're in a house that's starting to burn down, what, what are you going to be doing in those next few moments? Are you going to... And, and it'll vary for each of you, right? Some of you might try to grab a hose, put it out. Some of you may run inside, try to pull them out. Some of you may jump right on the phone, call 911. Some of you may start screaming for help. But here's my point. You're going to be doing something that's going to have to do with trying to help the people that you love get out of the house and not die in a fire. Basically, right? But everybody's going to be doing something. My question is, you pull up to the house, you see flames starting to come out the window, and are you going to... Are you going to go, oh, and then jump on your phone and look at some porn? Oh, you didn't see that coming, did you? Or pick your sin of choice. Whatever it is, you're going to, I mean, sit there and have a pity party about the fact that, oh, now I have to deal with another problem in my life. Why? Why? because you'd have, a, you'd have a real clear directive and purpose because people you love are in a fire. And here's the point. Being, walking with God, uh, uh, we have a real clear directive and purpose and there's a lot riding on it all the time. There are people all around us all the time that don't even know there's grace and hope available in Christ. We have an eternal purpose all the time. And you might hear me say stuff like this, and you're like, okay, bro, like, yeah, like, too intense, man, that's not realistic. Like, like what are you saying? Like, I should, I, should never, I should never be relaxed. I should never just be able to chill. I always have to be run around like something's on fire. No, you should rest and relax. The Bible says you should, but I'm gonna challenge you that even your rest and relaxation should be an intentional part of participating in God's kingdom work. Ooh, you thought you had me, didn't you? Even your rest and your relaxation should be an intentional part of you participating in the work of getting as many people as possible out of slavery in darkness and bringing them over into freedom in light through Christ. I don't know what my purpose is. Start there. I realize there's other details. A person to marry, maybe. A job to have, maybe. All of these things, yes, that constitute a a life today. Start with the biggest purpose and then let the details fill in around it. If you belong to Jesus, you are called to participate in his kingdom work. And it's not all that different than pulling people out of a burning house if we think about it right. Amen. So a lack of purpose is one way that temptation tends to come in and try to drag us to the left and to the right. The second thing I see here is false promises and counterfeits. And that's all through verses 10 through 21. That's, she basically goes in her spiel, right? This and this and such and whatever. So let's, let's, I'll just get, I'm going to get, for the sake of time, right, right into my example. So look at verses, I'm talking about false promises and counterfeits. How does temptation work? How do we get pulled into stuff that later on, after it's done, we're sitting there going, oh, how did, I, I hate that I did that. How did I get pulled into that or again, Right? How does it happen? Well, temptation comes with false promises and counterfeits, trying to entice you with false promises and offer you counterfeit things that really should be coming from God. Okay, where do we see that? Verses 19 and 20, I'll give you the first example. The first false promise here is that there won't be any consequences if he goes to the house with her. What'd she say? For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taking a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. What's what's she really saying? She's saying, we can get away with this. No one will know. No one will see. You come to my house right now. We can do whatever we want. No one will ever find out. You need to ask yourself, what am I trying? I'm trying to prepare you with truth. I'm trying to wash your mind with God's word. I'm trying to head off every way Temptation is gonna try to get you tangled up in a trap. Because I love you and I don't want your feet in a trap. It hurts. Bad. What does the word of God have to say to that idea? Hey, come with me. No one will know. Hey, we can do this, no one will know. And I'm not, we're not just talking about this particular situation. You understand that with every temptation to sin that you deal with, there this is one of the this is one of the tactics of the enemy. Who's gonna know? Why does it matter? Ephesians 5, starting in verse 6. See that no one deceives you with empty words. That's on the nose, isn't it? For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the useless, 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 the Bible says it once, I just want to say it a few times, useless, de- that's four, deeds of darkness. But instead, even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, it goes on to quote the Old Testament about, look man, don't think you're getting away with anything. What deeds done in darkness, they come to the light. It it comes out. You might say, well, I, don't know, I did something a long time ago and still nobody knows about it. Friends, at the end of the day, ultimately, here's what you gotta know. The Lord knows and that's what matters most. And so if you got something like that, you ought to repent of it and quit thinking you're getting away with anything because that's just not how it works. The other problem we have is that some consequences are immediate and visible if the temptation is, hey, buddy, hit yourself in the head with this hammer. Donk, instant consequences, right? That's what we tell the kids sometimes. You, you made a choice. There are natural consequences, <laughs> right? You chose to get your shoes in the lake, and now we're going to keep walking. You have wet feet, and it's uncomfortable. That's a natural consequence, right? We told you to keep your shoes dry, but did you? No, you didn't. Now you got raisin feet. Natural consequence, so, some consequences are like that. They're instant, invisible. It's like, oh, yep, yeah, yeah, shouldn't do that again. But some grow like a weed slowly over time and they aren't as obvious. Things like addiction. You start, and it, this can come in all different kinds of ways. It can be addictions to food, it can be addictions to substances, it can be addictions to uh, sexual impropriety and all of that, porn, all of that. It, it, no, nothing, you know, our brains aren't wide open where you can see neural pathways and changes and damage that we're doing to ourselves when we participate in these things. But absolutely, we are. You continue to sin. You continue to seek pleasure in these things. You, be, you begin to rewire your brain, damage your brain, and you end up always going back to these, these same pig troughs to try to get something that God ultimately has promised you joy or peace or whatever it is you're looking for. <clears throat> we got to know that, right? That it, not, I'm still trying to preach against the idea that, oh, it doesn't matter. No one's going to know. I'm, I've gotten away with a lot of stuff. Just because the consequence didn't pop up immediately doesn't mean you got away with anything. <laughs> okay? The, con- the Consequences come to roost. Amen? Okay. She, uh, The second counterfeit is love, verse 18, right? She says, let us drink of our fill of love until morning. I'm just gonna be quick on this because if you've been around here a amount of time, you've heard an extensive layout of this idea, but her, her offer for love is a counterfeit because God is the ultimate good and anybody or anything that's trying to draw you away from what is the ultimate good for you is not loving you. That's not loving you, that's hating you. That's not helping you, that's hurting you. And that's something we got to get a hold of <laughs> broadly, right? Uh, I mean, to the point where people think that in sinning against one another and sinning against God, that they're, that's how they're proving their love to one another. It's, it's just, it's the height of confusion. Love is, and here's the problem, right? I mean, love and sex get confused. Can, can we just say plainly, they're not the same thing. Love Defined by the scriptures, defined, the closest thing you're going to find to a definition is 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. The, the closest thing you're going to get to a definition of love is sacrificial service for the good of another. A willingness to lay yourself down for the good of another. That's not what this woman is doing. She's got an itch she wants to scratch, and she's about to use this dumb guy to do it. That's not love. Verse 17. Myrrh, she says, this is is interesting. She says, I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. You know, maybe I'm just getting old, but that just sounds like a sticky mess to me. I'm not sure why that's enticing. Um. I think a bunch of aloe on the sheets and stuff. Like what? Take those off, right? Like I, that's, that's weird. So I'm not sure. Maybe that's, maybe that's lost in translation. Maybe, uh, I don't know what aloes are. But here's, <laughs> here's something I want to read you that's real interesting. This brother should, this, there was red flags all along here. And this brother should have really caught one here. Let me read you something from John 19. Now what, what does she put on the bed? Myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Right, John 19, now after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, requested of Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred liters weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Wait a minute. Chica runs out here in the street saying, Hey, you know how you know the stuff we use to bury our people? I put that all over my bed. You want to come over? How I mean, naive for sure. What? That's funny, but here's what's not funny about it. Because it is, it dead on nails what the Bible already told us he was doing. He thought he was marching to a good time, he was marching to his own funeral. She may as well have wrapped him up in them sheets and thrown him in a hole. We got to keep our minds right about temptation where it's really leading us. Because it might smell like cinnamon and whatever the rest of this stuff smells like, and it might be good. It's a lie, man. It's taking you to death. Verses 24 through 27 shows us the truth about temptation and it leads us to remember the hope we have in Jesus. It says, therefore my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not strain to her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Bottom line here, friends, we, the word of God, the truth of God. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is life and death. This is truth and lies. The stakes are higher than we often act like they are. There's all these ways to dismiss it. Oh, I'm not perfect. Or I don't know, God's loving, Right? I've heard people say, oh, well, yeah, you know, I'm not that worried about sin and stuff. Isn't it God's job to forgive? Ooh, I would not if I were you take that approach. Maybe read a little revelation (laughs) about like fire eyes, sword coming to his mouth, feet like brass Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, yes, he is loving. Yes, he's made every provision possible for us to be rescued from the wretchedness of a darkness and slavery. Yes, he is good. He is loving, far more patient than you could ever possibly imagine, but he will not be mocked. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. Friends, here's the bottom line. This, this is the capstone to this, journey, this session in Proverbs. There's been some repetition, but that's good for us. True freedom, real love, abiding joy, and unfading hope. This is what God offers. He doesn't just want good things for us. He wants the best things for us. And friends, to to some degree, how your life will go is gonna depend very much on whether or not you believe that one precept right there. Will you move towards him in trust because you do believe he actually knows what is best and wants it for you? Or are you gonna continue in rebellion and foolishness Biting on counterfeits. Biting on these, these offers that, that sound good at first but ultimately lead to death. And let us remember that Jesus gave absolutely everything to open the door for you to have that abundant life. How, did, how, did we, how can we talk about abundant life? How do we talk about eternal life? Not just abundant life here, but eternal life with God. It's because Christ did everything necessary. He lived the perfect life we couldn't and we can't, died in our place for our sins, and then rose from the grave. The question is, will we believe that? And will we then act accordingly? Will we love God because he's loved us first? That's the big question. I hope so. May God help us. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, thank you the book of Proverbs. Thank you that it is direct. It's unvarnished. It tells the truth. It's practical. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your word overall is like that. Help us to treat it as such. Lord, I ask right now that a, a new and vibrant desire would rise up in us, your people, to have your word written upon our hearts. May our hearts and our minds be washed and cleansed with the water of your word, I ask anybody right now as they hear me pray that that feels hopeless because they've dabbled so long in things that are dark. They feel like that there's no way that you could do that. Lord, may their heart be filled with hope in you. Lord, if you can raise the dead, you can cleanse a heart and mind. If you can make the world, you can cleanse a heart and mind. But I thank you, Lord, that part of the deal is that we need to want it. We need to move towards it. We have to participate. And so God, I ask that uh, you would would be faithful to your word to be with us and to help us with this process of being holy as you are holy. And may our motivation always be as we glimpse more and more through your gospel how much you really do love us because our trust in you is growing, because our, our joy in you is growing, because our love for you is growing. May this be the motivation. May this be the wind in our sails that pushes us towards holiness and righteousness casting down every thought contrary to the truth of your word. Please help us with these things, or We cannot do it on our own. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give,